Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, to celebrate the launch of the final season of the TV show Game of Thrones, I have a meaty middle about all the fun and unusual languages that were created for the show, and a kitchen table lingo story at the end. But first, I have two corrections. A couple of people pointed out that in the recent episode about the schwa, I mispronounced the Hebrew word that's the origin of the word schwa. I pronounced it as shiva, but that is the Hebrew word for the number seven, and is also used to describe the first period of mourning after the death of a close relative, which lasts seven days, hence the name. You may have heard it in the phrase sitting shiva. The word that gives us schwa is spelled S-H-V-A and is properly pronounced shiva, shiva. A listener named Bruce Zuckerman describes it as meaning nothingness or something of no value. So it's a nothing vowel. Thank you to Bruce and also to Katie who wrote in with her advice, which was also very helpful. And also in that show, I apparently misspoke calling phonics phonetics, and they are two different things. Neil Whitman caught that one and wrote that phonetics is the hardcore linguistic stuff about vocal anatomy and acoustic measurements. That's where they talk about high-low, front-back vowels, or voiced and voiceless consonants. Phonics, on the other hand, is the domain of elementary school-level reading teachers, and it uses terms that have little to do with phonetics— For example, when phoneticians talk about long and short vowels, they actually mean how many milliseconds in duration a vowel is. But in phonics, long and short refer to different vowels. So, sorry for the confusion. And finally, one last announcement before we get to Game of Thrones. If you need to know AP Style for work and you missed my live AP Style webinar last month, Reagan.com recorded it, and now it's available on demand. I'll put a link in the show notes, and I'll also pin a post on my Twitter account for a while. I'm Grammar Girl with no spaces on Twitter. This week marks the first episode in the final season of Game of Thrones. There's just so much excitement about the finale that we just had to include a segment about it on this week's show. Not just because we love dragons and swords, we do, but because a core part of the series has been the languages the characters speak. 
If you don't watch Game of Thrones, don't worry. This segment is also for people who might be curious about how a language gets created from absolute scratch. That's what happened for this series. There are at least 11 languages spoken in the Game of Thrones world. The bare bones of all these languages were created by George R.R. Martin, the author of A Song of Ice and Fire, on which the TV series is based. But Martin's skeleton was pretty skimpy. In the books, he created only a handful of words for most of the languages. So when it came time for an actual language to be created for the show, a usable one that could be spoken extensively by actors, somebody had to flesh out those bones. And there were a lot of them. The show includes several languages spoken by humans, a rudimentary one spoken by giants, and a creepy one spoken by white walkers, zombie-like creatures who have magical powers of ice and cold. Here's a rundown. The most common language we hear in Game of Thrones is called, well, the common tongue. It's spoken throughout Westeros, one of the two large continents in the Game of Thrones world. It's also spoken by the Wildings who live north of the Wall, a great barrier in the north of Westeros that protects humans from the White Walkers. The common tongue is represented in the book series and the TV series by English. The old tongue is spoken by Wildings who live far north of the Wall, those who have little exposure to the common tongue. It's an ancient rune-based language that was spoken by the first men, the original human inhabitants of Westeros. A rough version of it, one that lacks verb tenses, plurals, and words of more than one syllable, is spoken by the giants north of the Wall. Their version is called Meg-Nook, the Great Tongue. The true tongue is the melodic language of the children of the forest, elf-like creatures who were said to be the original inhabitants of Westeros. Humans can't speak the language, but ravens can, including the mysterious three-eyed raven that appears in the show. The children of the forest say that they used the tongue to, quote, sing the songs of the earth, unquote, thus its musical tone. High Valerian is the language that was spoken in the old Valerian freehold, an ancient civilization that stretched across Essos, the second large continent in this world. Over time, High Valerian faded out of common use and became the language of a select, educated elite, much like Latin in our world. It was once a living language, but by the Middle Ages was spoken only by scholars, clergy, and other smarty pants. While High Valerian was falling out of use, several dialects of it developed, known collectively as Low Valerian. These dialects were spoken by the common people of Essos, from the free cities in the west to slave cities in the east. Then there's Dothraki. Dothraki is spoken by the nomadic horse warriors who live in the central plains of Essos. It's a spoken language only. In other words, it has no writing system. Certain words in Dothraki that wouldn't exist in a non-literate language have been borrowed from Valerian, the word book, for example. There's also a dead language called Old Giscari. Giscari was spoken in Essos before the time of the Valerians, and most of it has been lost. A few Giscari words have been borrowed into Low Valerian. The word Misa, for example, which means mother— that's the word that many in Essos use for Daenerys Targaryen, who they consider a bringer of salvation. 
There's also Lazar, Karth, and Hasai. These are living languages that are still spoken in Essos, but we hear very little of them in the show. Finally, there's Scroth. Scroth is the language of the White Walkers, but it doesn't sound much like words. In the books, the walkers' voices are described as sounding like, quote, the cracking of ice on a winter lake, unquote. In the TV series, the screechy, icy sounds they make aren't spoken by humans at all. They are artificially created by the show's sound designer. I won't even try to imitate here what they sound like. Do you remember I said that George R.R. R. Martin included only a smattering of words from these languages in his books? That left the producers of Game of Thrones with a decision to make. Dispense with these languages altogether, give the actors gibberish words to speak, or go all in and create some fully functioning fake languages, like Klingon, for the actors to use. They decided to go all in. Acting on a tip from linguist Erica Okrant, they reached out to the Language Creation Society, a group that specializes in the creation of constructed languages, conlangs for short. The society and the producers held a contest to help them choose a creator for Dothraki, the first language the show needed to have created. David Peterson, a linguist and the founder of the society, decided to apply. He said he had a feeling that this could be a big deal, so he went all out creating a full-fledged sound system and grammar for the language, along with some 2,000 words. He won the contest, further developed the language, and then translated all the lines for the first season that needed to be spoken in Dothraki. He went on to develop Valerian and several other languages for the show, and then went on to do the same for other TV series and movies. He now describes himself, quote, as the only person in the world ever to make a career out of language creation, unquote. We could go into a really deep dive here about how Peterson went about crafting Dothraki, but for the sake of brevity, we'll share just a few facts. First, Peterson didn't get much information from the show's producers on what they wanted the language to sound like. They asked him to use the few words Martin had already created in the books, and they asked him to make the language sound harsh. The goal of creating a harsh-sounding language guided Peterson's development of the sound system, or phonology, of Dothraki. He started with a phoneme that does register as harsh to English speakers, the KH sound we hear in the word bak, and he built out from there. We hear that sound in the word kahal, meaning ruler or warlord, and khaleesi, which roughly equates to queen. He also came at the task from a cultural and anthropological perspective, thinking about how words and expressions would develop in a nomadic, warrior society. For example, the word he created for pride is Athjakar, which is derived from Jahak, the long braid worn by Dothraki warriors. Dothraki men are allowed to braid their hair only after they've won a battle, and they're forced to cut it after a defeat. Thus, a long braid, a long jahak, would be a sign of pride, Athjakar. In the same vein, the word for goodbye is phonus check, which translates literally as hunt well. That's a pretty logical way to say goodbye for a tribe of hunter-gatherers. We could go on and on and share many more cool words in Dothraki, Valerian, and Magnook, but we'll stop there for today. If you like this segment, head over to quickanddirtytips.com, where I've included a list of other resources related to the languages of the Game of Thrones. 
Until then, bonus check. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. And now on to family slang. Charles Harrington Elster, who contributed to the podcast in the past and is the author of the book Word Workout, made me aware of a compilation of familect stories that slightly predates a website called The English Project at englishproject.org, which was the earliest example I found of people collecting these kinds of words. They call it kitchen table lingo. That website launched in 2008, and Charles pointed me to a book published in 2007 called Family Words, a Dictionary of the Secret Language of Families, published by Paul Dixon, the author of more than 60 books. Thanks, Charles. And honestly, I haven't searched exhaustively, but I'd be surprised if there weren't even earlier examples. And now, here's a story. Hi, Grammar Girl. This is Mark from Murrieta, California, and this is my Familex story. Like most kids, I suspect, my son started making up words from the moment he could talk. Many remain with us to this day, 20 years later. Several are dinosaur names, but the one that comes up in everyday conversation will probably cross generations. It should also enter the general vocabulary because it's so useful. When you lean against a solid object for so long that it leaves a dent in your skin, what do you call that? In our house, it's a shibba-dibba. The vowel sounds in there are short, like the first letters in idiosyncratic and amazing. No doubt there's a medical term for these skin impressions, but my wife and I never felt like setting our son straight. Whenever one of us sees an odd-looking mark on another's skin, that word coined by a preschooler comes in handy once again. Now that you know the word, I hope you'll share it with others. Thanks, Mark. That does seem useful. I had a shibba-dibba on my face when I woke up this morning after sleeping on the cord of my earbuds. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl, the author of seven books, including the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. This show is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, and you can find articles that go with each episode at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.